Welcome to Shift, College Admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and Achievable has an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to help you reach your target score faster and more effectively. You can get a free trial of our ACT course at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Rachel Elmer and Emily Labeko. They're both from Private Prep, which is a great chess prep firm, and want to just let them introduce themselves rather than ramble on here. So if you each could talk a little bit about yourselves in Private Prep, that'd be great. Thanks, Tyler. My name is Rachel Elmer. I am the head of the college counseling team at Private Prep. We support students with every aspect of the college application process from ninth graders considering who am I, who do I want to be in the world, how does that reflect in what I choose to do with my time and what classes I take through juniors who are thinking, okay, well, now where does that mean I apply and can I get in there and how do I tell my story? So we help with all of that. Um, Private Prep as an organization also does test prep, which Emily runs, um, our curriculum team and we support students with subject tutoring and executive functioning. And Emily Labeko is our wonderful director of curriculum. We can say more about that. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Rachel. Yeah, I'm the director of test prep and tutoring curriculum at Private Prep, um, which means I focus a lot on the ACT and SAT, which is obviously a hot button topic with college admissions right now, as well as middle school, high school entrance exams and subject tutoring as well. And um, Private Prep is an education services company to add on um, that kind of holistically focuses on really anything that we can support students with by really building a team um, and helping students not only reach their academic goals, but also build confidence and kind of figure out where they want to be in the world. Yeah, very cool. And so today we're going to be talking about the test optional landscape and its impact on admissions, right? I mean, this is something that I think has been the admission college admissions topic for the last few years. And now that we've kind of gotten out of COVID and now that we've kind of reached a point where it's kind of, it's towards the end of the sort of trial period that a lot of schools did, you know, a lot of schools kind of punted on whether this was a good idea by saying, we're going to test it out and see how it goes. Well, now we have to an extent, right? Some schools are going to continue to punt, but some of them aren't. And so I'm really curious, Rachel, just from your perspective here, as someone who's really deeply ingrained in this topic, like, so what's, what's been the conversation been like lately? And um, what do you think the impact's going to be on admissions going forward? Oh my gosh, what a big question. I think there are some trends we can point to that the switch to test optional very clearly contributed to, particularly early in the pandemic, as probably Mm -hmm. most of your listeners will be aware, um, applications to especially more selective selective institutions skyrocketed, and many believe Mm -hmm. that's a result of of test optional policies. So I think Colgate was the most outrageous example of that. It went up 103% in one year. Um, and yeah, um, and continue to grow the year after that as well. Some other schools, a place like NYU is now processing more than a hundred thousand applications every admission cycle. Wow. So they must be busy. They are very busy. They're very busy and very understaffed in many cases. Um, and that's really, they believe a direct result of more students, feeling that they have more access to the school, whether or not they actually have a greater likelihood of getting in is a separate question. But really, because 
of what test optional opened up, more students felt empowered to apply. This is again to a, a smaller group of schools, the, the schools that are more selective. Um, and correspondingly, acceptance rates plummeted. So schools that had maybe 15% acceptance rates three years ago might now have 7% acceptance rates or even lower. We're seeing, we're seeing things in the very small single digits, which is just a little bit terrifying. Right. Well, and I mean, it's not like all these schools that had their applications double would be able to double the size of their class, right? So it makes it makes sense, but why is it terrifying to you then? Uh, that admit just, acceptance rates are so low. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think this is getting into a different conversation, but culturally we sure, have sure. a real fixation on highly selective schools that I think mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. actually healthy for students, for families, uh, and there are some people, the way they approach the process, the, the lower an acceptance rate becomes, the more desirable that school becomes. It feeds the same frenzy. This is in part because right, of the right. power of the U.S. news rankings, which has also been in the news a lot lately, um, and the way their algorithm works, which borrows significantly from acceptance rate and rewards lower acceptance rates. So um, it's really just part of how we've many of us have been socialized to, to prize that. And as a result, students go for you they don't see 2.7 percent and think oh maybe i should add more schools to my list they think oh i should add more schools that have acceptance rates of 2.7 percent uh and that's what that's the the long answer of why that scares me a little bit when a metric becomes the goal it ceases to be a good metric Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what happened where, with acceptance rates and really with almost everything that the U.S. News measures. It's not really U.S. News's fault. They've got to measure something. And measuring the acceptance rate of a university seems to make a lot of sense on the surface, right? But the problem is if that's a clear target and, you know, the lower your acceptance rate is, the more valuable your school is perceived, people are going to, you know, race to the bottom, <laughs> In, right, in order to try and juice their ranking, right? And I mean, it's kind of just a perpetual problem with the U.S. News rankings overall is that people are kind of doing whatever they can to juice the rankings in many different ways, right? Like I've heard of schools with test optional that are telling uh, athletes whether their scores are good enough before they submit them so that they don't submit them if they're going to bring the median down, right? Like there's like stuff like that. Um, and everything kind of flows through your U.S. news ranking. So that's, so yeah, I, I think that unfortunately, like that's what's happened to acceptance rates now. It's kind of, we've, we've hit the race to the bottom portion of that. Absolutely. And I think that example you just shared of the recruited athletes hits on another reality of the test optional landscape, which is that there's a tremendous lack of clarity for students in some ways. Students have more control over their own scores than they have ever had before. They have more control over how Mm -hmm. a score fits with the story they want to tell about themselves, about themselves as as a student and a scholar. And that's great. But it requires a lot of information to be able to make that decision. You know, students have to have a certain level of resources to be able to navigate that that decision-making framework um, well. And I think also there's colleges send them wildly conflicting messages about test optional and Mm -hmm. colleges Mm -hmm. themselves have 
are approaching it in very, very different ways. Like test optional is not test optional is not test optional. Uh, we see some schools where really uh, it's exactly 50-50 with students who submit scores versus students who don't and the, the proportion of them who are admitted. We see other schools that seem to be privileging the test scores a little bit more based on who submits what. We are seeing some schools now say things like, just send us the score and we'll decide if you should be test optional to all applicants, not just not just athletes, um, because they do <laughs> they do want the higher score and then they want to hide it if they still want the kid, but don't want the score. So, I mean, that feels almost like you're kind of that's like actively kind of manipulating the, the system a little bit. I don't know. It is. And yet also part of me appreciates the clarity of it taking <laughs> like mm -hmm. it requires a lot of trust which um i've been in this field too long to to really ascribe to the colleges generally but um there is something nice and clear about that so yeah it's a yeah, minefield so, uh, yeah so i mean yeah yeah the poor kids who have to deal with all this i mean it, I, I definitely have heard i've mostly heard of the the schools being like you said in your example where it they're test optional but they're still favoring people that submit test scores right mm -hmm. because sort of the unspoken assumption which i don't know if they'll ever be able to really get away from is a, is if you don't submit scores they must not be high performing scores at a bare minimum but they're also probably not even very average scores either right like the likelihood is that they're below average because if they're above average you would submit them so you know, there still is like that sort of unspoken stigma, I think. And I think that at least in my point of view, admissions officers favoring people that submit scores probably won't go away anytime soon. Do you agree with that? Yes and no. I think it is true that an admissions officer in the absence of a score will assume that it was a score that did not serve the student, which means it was lower than the school's range that they say they want. I do very much believe that admissions officers are not penalizing students for that phantom score they cannot see. But what is happening is that two students with the same academic profile, if one of them has a strong score and one of them doesn't, especially for students who are kind of on the border for a school, that score uh -huh. Uh -huh. elevates the transcript. It corroborates what's in the academic profile. And the student who doesn't have the score does not have that luxury. So they have to, right. the students right. who benefit from test optional are the ones who have really, really strong academic profiles without the testing. And we have seen, even at the schools that statistically seem to be privileging scores, we have seen students for whom that has really been true, who have absolutely rock star transcripts with excellent grades, high levels of rigor, you know, have maybe some testing anxiety or something that is a barrier for them on the testing front who get in test optional. The students who are in the, who are sort of middle of the road students, um, those students especially might benefit from a score because it can support especially an upward trend across high school. Students who might have had a rocky mm -hmm. start, which is true for a lot of students right now because seniors right now had, you know, 2020 was their freshman year. So they were just right. starting high right. school and then it's like, boom, now you don't go to school anymore and it's all online and the world is ending. So some of those students did not do that well freshman year. By junior year, they've really shown what they're capable of. A strong score for them is incredibly valuable in signaling to the admissions office the work they're capable of 
once they get to college, which is really what the score is there for. It's supporting the academic profile. So I just want to like, if the academic profile is good enough, it doesn't matter that they're imagining a bad score because they're actually not using it. If the profile is not good. Great. So, I mean, that kind of allays some fears a little bit. I also think, you know, everyone's a case by case basis. I know you've been talking about how other programs are, um, you know, some of them are considering continuing test optional, some of them aren't, some of them are trying to essentially like phase it back out because they didn't feel like it worked. I think probably the starting point of this part of the conversation is like, from what you've seen so far from universities, do we feel like the data supports the hypothesis that test optional students are going to do just as well as the ones who took and submitted test scores at schools? And does that change by, you know, the tier of the school or relative difficulty of it? That's a really good question. So I think, I think the answer is yes, the data does support that, but using data that is pre-COVID, it's important to remember that there were a lot of schools in this country that were already test optional. And so there are schools like Bowdoin and Bates that have been test optional for 30 to 50 years. Um, and schools that had made the jump more recently, but have collected a lot of data on it, like GW, for example, these schools were, were actually leaders in the pandemic in basically training all the other colleges and how to review applications without test scores. They were, okay. they were okay. really forthcoming um, in professional development with other admissions officers about the challenges of this in early years, but they also shared a lot of data about what they saw with students when they got, once they got to college and their data sets really support that students who are test optional admits to their schools um, do just as well in one large scale study. They actually did like 0.01 uh, higher on GPA by graduating. They tended to across time uh, have a slightly lower GPA as freshmen and then course correct and end up a little bit higher. So in that set of data, okay. yes. Um, but then you also have MIT who in the spring went back to requiring testing. They didn't publicize their data. They don't want to. Um, but they say that they saw tremendous drop-offs in student success below a certain math score. Uh, and they really feel strongly that they need the test to understand how a student is poised to succeed there because this is not a school that's going to have intensive intervention for students. It's not a school set up for first gen students who don't have that kind of background. Um, so it, I do think it varies by institution to some degree as well. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you feel like the correlation or the reason why it didn't work for MIT was because of the difficulty of MIT? Like, would that support an idea that it's just like high end schools are, are probably going to favor these tests more because you need you know, high-end skills, and these tests are a way of sort of evaluating that in a world of straight A's. And Sorry, what I mean by a world of straight A's is I've heard a couple from anecdotally from a few people that, like, the average GPA now is like a 4.0. Yeah, I mean, right. that's so, right. so, <laughs> so it's just... It's a sea of A students. Yeah, so it's really hard if you're a school that's like MIT, where it's like you got to have a certain math pedigree to survive... Right. And whether that's fair is maybe a different topic, but like, th how do they tell? Right. Well, maybe they need something like the SAT to get like a second data point on that. Yeah. I think MIT would be the first to tell you they're unique in the landscape in that sense. 
that's that's how they framed their own argument around why they were returning. Caltech might take umbrage with that. And in fact, Caltech is test blind. Um, they're probably MIT's closest peer institution and they don't use testing at all at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. But notably, mm-hmm. Caltech is much smaller, so has um, more resources to devote to students who might be having challenges than MIT may feel it has. Uh, and I think beyond those, it gets way too apples and oranges in terms of comparing institutional experience uh, mm-hmm. to really make an assessment. But I, I, I understand MIT's argument um, in terms of math preparation, and they claim that they really need that score specifically to be able to identify students from disadvantaged communities, because otherwise they don't under, they don't know enough about the rigor of their academic contexts without that score. So for them, it's actually a drop of right. equity, whereas in other schools, the same really might not be true based on how they evaluate academic credentials. Yeah. And I mean, you know, your mileage may vary on whether you believe that line of argument, but that's the same line of argument that a lot of people in San Francisco used when they were really upset about San Francisco's school district, like removing algebra from eighth grade and removing calculus from, from high school is they were like, how, you know, you're not actually, you know, the argument is very similar to what you said is like, if you are from a disadvantaged community and you are that good at math, like how do you show it without these classes? Right. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting dilemma. Um, I'm curious then from what you've seen from decisions so far, do you feel like there's been a trend as to kind of whether test optional is going to stick around with a lot of these schools that picked it up recently? If I had to name a trend, I would say I am expecting the majority of the private institutions, MIT aside, to remain test optional, at least for for a while longer, if not permanently, um, partially because if we are remembering that colleges are businesses, um, that is how they function. Yes, they also care about educating young people, but they have <clears> bottom <throat> lines. Um, and in many, many cases, this has been really good for their bottom line for the reasons we talked about in the beginning of this conversation. Um, so it's if it aligns with that and with um, their goals of attracting more applicants from communities that might not have been applying before, it's hard for me to imagine at least private universities and colleges not keeping it. State schools are a very different matter. And in many cases, it's decided by the Board of Governors. And what we've seen as a trend is that uh, traditionally conservative states are much more likely to have never been test optional. Like Florida, Florida was never test optional. The Florida state system, even when you were, even when kids literally could not take a test, UF was like, no, Mm -hmm. if you wish to apply here, you must, you must have one. Um, But so the UF, FSU, the Florida state system, Georgia, so UGA and Georgia Tech, um, Tennessee requires testing Mm -hmm. again. Um, I think that Auburn is ostensibly test optional, but it's in our experience fake test optional. Um, yeah, we call it test preferred. Te- yeah, there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up really being sort of decided geographically in that way. I will say I've been very pleasantly surprised by Michigan and Wisconsin, which are two schools that are very, very popular with our students. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. the first skeptic of their ability to do test optional review. And at least with our students, um, they really have have done it and have taken test optional applicants, even from you know the very well resourced populations where students feel like there's a tacit expectation that they do have a score. So. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. I'm curious then, kind of as we as we wrap this up, um, what advice are you giving to your students now, right? And I'm sure that changes by, you know, their academic profile and things like that. But I mean, if you just, as a rough sort of framework of like, if your grades are excellent and like, you know, XYZ is like the score median, you know, I recommend this or just sort of just a general overview of uh, for parents that are listening as well as students, just as of kind of what you're recommending at this point, this year, end of 2022, right? Talking about this. Yeah. Well, I would say for the younger students, so students who are in sophomore year or junior year, um, I want all my students to have choice in this process. The new normal mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. moment is what we call hybrid lists, where students might apply test optional to some schools, but not others. That has been a really successful strategy. I think it is here to Mm -hmm. stay at least for the next few years. To be able to take that strategy, students have to have at least approached taking a test so that they have options. Um, So we are seeing some students do their diagnostic testing later than they normally would. If it's a junior who hasn't figured out yet which test is right for them, please go do it. (laughs) Try it. Um, We do have students who... Like we have students do full full length diagnostics so that we can really compare them, um, and we have some students who come in so low that we have a conversation and say this might not be the best use of your time. Um, that might happen, right. but they can't right. make that decision until they until they try them out. Um, right. So we really want students to still give themselves that choice if they can. Um, for students who have been going for a while with test prep or practicing on their own and aren't sure if they should keep trying. Um, they should look at the colleges they think they might be interested in, take a look at the middle 50% of admitted scores that they list. Um, keep in mind that that might be a little bit inflated in the last couple of years because of test optional. And a lot of colleges right. are saying, right. take a look at our 2019, 2020 numbers. Um, and also, if the school has not told you yet what their policy is for, for the class of 2024, Give them a call and say, do you know right. yet? Um, because what I really... Or if you don't know, you're kind of like, well, better be prepared. Better keep going. Yeah, better keep trying. Um, and then for the se- seniors are have probably already decided um, at least, you know, where they're applying and they might be making final choices about whether to apply with testing or not. Um, it is really helpful to talk to your school counselor, if you can, about your particular high school context and how students from your school fared test optional. Um, you know, what kind of majors did they apply to, just to get some more data points that might be more um, more relevant to you rather than the overall landscape. And mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. you know, then it gets really micro into what are you applying for? If you're applying for business or engineering and you have a high math score, they probably want to see it. If you're an artist right, right. and your math score is lower, but your verbal is really high, they might be totally fine with that because you're submitting a portfolio, you know, so you have to think about those things too. Right. Yeah. And it all kind of, I mean, the macro, 
to to kind of go backwards a little bit to what we were talking about earlier to wrap this up like i I feel like the macro sort of thing outcome of all this is that because it in a way kind of like helps you cheat a little cheating is a strong word but like it helps you game the u.s news rankings right because you can have more applicants lower acceptance rate you can, you know, have the applicants with lower scores are generally not submitting them, so your average score goes up. Both those things are great. It kind of becomes a situation where colleges are probably going to stick with tests optional for those reasons, if nothing else. And because if you do it and or if you don't do it and other people do, and they gain on you in the US News rankings. <laughs> Right, then you're gonna get a lot of pressure from the higher ups to to do the same thing, right? So I think I loved your your suggestion of making a hybrid list. I feel like a lot of schools will fall into that range going forward for students. Where, I mean, it's not great for maybe giving general advice on a podcast, but the truth is that it will be a case by case basis for each school, even within your list. And so you'll kind of build your list first and then you'll strategize about submitting the test scores second. But it does not sound like anyone, well, it doesn't sound like most students should be so confident that they're going to get in without any test score that they should do none of the test prep and do zero tests entirely. And like, I work for a company that does a lot of test prep and so I shouldn't say this, but if I could set everyone free from standardized testing, that's what I would be proselytizing. I'd be like, do it, you're done. And we're just not there. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, people it's, it's, you want to have the option, right? It's like, uh, I, I won't come up with an analogy this time, but there's, there are uh, many things in life where, you know, you might do a bunch of preparation just to not use it, but the alternative of doing no preparation and then needing it is a lot worse. Yeah. That's a, a good final word of wisdom, too. I don't know when this will come out, but any seniors who are waiting for early news, work on your regular decision applications. Thanks so much. This has been Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world. Hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Rachel and Emily from Private Prep. You can get a free trial of Achievable's ACT course at achievable.me and use the code podcast if you like it to get 10% off.